Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. As of March 7th, you can join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at our new church home at 5103 Pegasus Court. You can also continue to watch online on Facebook or through the Church Center app. Either way, we hope you join us. Now, let's check out Sunday's message. When I was 23, I woke up in the middle of the night because there was a sharp pain in my stomach. Trying to ignore it, I rolled over to go back to sleep, but it was unbearable. So I walked into the living room of our small apartment in Cleveland, and I turned on ESPN and waited for the pain to go away. Now, let me pause here for a moment, because I, I know what some of you are thinking, especially the moms in the room. You're, gonna, you're thinking, did you try going to the bathroom? Maybe you just needed some Pepto or Tums. L- listen, it's not that type of stomachache, people. This isn't a story about how I had to poop. Give me a little bit of credit here. So from midnight on, I laid on the floor in the fetal position watching a late night NBA replay of a game from earlier that day. And at some point, even though I don't remember this, the pain must have faded enough for me to head back to bed and fall asleep. When I woke up the next morning, the pain was still there. It felt like someone was jabbing me in a pen in a spot just a few inches below my belly button, but I still figured it would eventually go away. So I tried to get dressed. I threw on gym shorts because they were the only things I could get on while curled into a ball on my bed, and I figured the waistband wouldn't put too much pressure on the spot that hurt. I brushed my teeth while sitting on the edge of my bed, leaned over and looking at the floor. I pulled myself into my car and I drove to the church office where I was working. It took me 10 minutes to make my way up the flight of stairs. At this point, it was probably an eight out of 10 on the pain scale, but I still thought that it would go away. When I walked into the office, our admin immediately looked at me and said, Michael, you look awful. I was like, thanks, Joyce, I'm fine. I just need to go sit down. Holding onto the wall, I worked my way to the desk. I sat in my chair and I put my head down. It had been 12 hours since I woke up at midnight and things were getting worse. Thankfully, one of my coworkers stepped in and called my wife and she came and took me to the hospital. When I got to the emergency room, the pain was so bad that I couldn't talk. And some of you know what the type of pain that I'm talking about. It's where you're gritting your teeth and you're humming and you're just trying to numb it, ignore it, or even will it to go away. The hospital wasn't in much of a hurry because they thought it was kidney stones. So after waiting for a few more hours, they took me back to get my blood work. It was around 4 p.m. At this point, I had an IV hooked up with pain medicine, so the shooting pain was dulled, but still nagging. And that's when the medical staff rushed into my room because the blood work came back and they realized that my appendix was about to burst. Within an hour, I was in surgery, and a few hours later, I was in recovery. My useless piece of junk appendix had been removed and the pain was gone. And I was back at work three days later. I'm so thankful for my coworkers and my wife and the doctors for seeing that something was wrong and getting me the help that I needed. They legitimately saved my life. You see, when we are not physically well, people see it. Our faces show the pain. Our color isn't the same. Our eyes might be full of tears. Our voices give us away, maybe through crying or screams of pain or simply being able to communicate that something isn't right. The benefit to struggling physically is that it's noticeable. People take your pain seriously 
because it's seen, right? Something was clearly wrong with me physically and people stepped in to get me the help I needed. And as weird as this might sound, that is kind of the beauty of physical pain. It's seen. Even issues like cancer can be seen, not just through scans or the results of chemotherapy and radiation. Just last year, a TV reporter in Florida named Victoria Price got an email from a viewer that encouraged her to have a doctor check out a lump on her neck. At first, Victoria ignored the email because she didn't notice that anything was wrong. But after her boyfriend insisted, she went in to get it checked out. Tests then confirmed that she had thyroid cancer and she quickly had the malignant tumor removed. When our physical health is struggling, it's noticeable. But sadly, the same can't be said about our mental health. When people are struggling mentally, it's often unnoticed. When people are struggling, you can't always see it on their faces. When we are struggling mentally, we try to hide it. When we are struggling mentally, we tend to let it be a secret battle within. When we are struggling mentally, we push it deep down because we don't want it to be a burden on our family or our friends or our work or our faith. Pastor Rick Warren once said, there's no shame in diabetes, there's no shame in high blood pressure, but why is it that if our brains are struggling, there's supposed to be shame in that? Today we're starting a new series called Inside My Head. And this series is about mental health and faith. And we're starting the series today because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And you probably already know this, but I wanna share it anyway. The term mental health reflects our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. And this affects how we think, feel, and act. It has a strong impact on the way we interact with others and handle problems and make decisions. And everyone has mental health. Everyone has mental health, just like everyone has physical health. And in the course of a lifetime, not all people will experience a mental illness, but everyone will struggle with their mental health, just like we have challenges with our physical health from time to time. And mental health is kind of this overarching term that mental illness is a part of. Mental illness refers to the conditions that affect a person's thinking, feeling, mood, or behavior. These can include, but aren't limited to, depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And while this series is gonna focus on mental health as a broad topic, I wanna talk about mental illness for a second. Here are some important things to know about mental illness. And this information comes from the CDC, the National Alliance on Mental Health and Johns Hopkins. And I wanna share this because I'm guessing that you are like me and you are unaware of just how prevalent mental illness is in our society. Although the exact causes of mental illness is not known, it's becoming clear through research that many of these conditions are caused by a combination of biological, psychological, and environmental factors, meaning mental illness might not be something that someone's just born with. It can come as a result of physical trauma, infections, substance abuse, or even poor nutrition. Mental illness can also be the result of severe psychological trauma, such as emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. It can be at the result of loss, neglect, a dysfunctional family life, feelings of inadequacy, such as low self-esteem, anxiety, anger, or loneliness, and can come on because of social or cultural expectations. Nearly one in five US adults live with a diagnosable mental illness. That's approximately 51 million people. About 9.5% of American adults will suffer from a depressive illness each year. 
women are twice as likely to suffer from major depression. Four times as many men than women commit suicide. However, women attempt suicide more often than men. The highest suicide rates in the US are found in Caucasian men over the age of 85. But suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34 in the US, and it's the 10th leading cause in the United States. Additionally, 10.7% of people in 2020 reported that they had seriously considered suicide in a span of 30 days. So whether it's a diagnosable mental illness or just overall mental well-being, this isn't something that's only impacting other people, right? It's impacting us. It's impacting me. It's impacting many of you. And for some of you, your struggles are public and known by people in your circles. But what we know about mental health is that most people who struggle do so silently. So we're starting this series today to put a flag in the ground and let people know that you don't have to struggle in silence with your mental health. You don't need to be ashamed about your mental health. You don't need to be embarrassed about your mental health. You don't need to feel unfaithful because of your mental health. And you don't need to feel sinful because of your mental health. Recent studies show that 92% of pastors reported talking about mental health rarely or never. We want to be a part of that 8%. I want to be a part of that 8% because the church should be the safest place in the world to be real about our ups and our downs and, about, and be real about our struggles. So here's what I want you to write down. Here's what I want you to know today. You are allowed to love Jesus and have a therapist. You are allowed to love Jesus and have a therapist. I do. So here's what's gonna happen over the next few weeks of this series. We're gonna talk about anxiety, fear, and shame, and we're gonna learn what God teaches through the Bible about those struggles. On May 23rd, my own therapist, Matthew LaGrange, is gonna be at Collective, and he's gonna share with you all something that changed my life a few years ago. And I can promise you right now that you won't want to miss a week of this series. So if you can't be here, you need to make sure to listen on Spotify or follow us on YouTube and check out the video later. Because even though you might not be struggling right now, you might in the future. And even though you might not be struggling right now, the odds are very high that someone you love is. One more thing before I jump into today's teaching. I wanna give you a resource that you should all know is available. And so I wanna encourage you guys to take out your phones. Um, seriously, take out your phones, open up the camera. I want you to take a picture of this um, because this is really important. This is something that you guys should all have access to. Um, on the screen is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, what we don't wanna have happen is we don't want it to come across your Facebook page every once in a while when people care about it. We want you guys to actually hold on to this and have this. And every person should have this number saved on their phone because this phone number is one of the greatest resources that exists for people who are struggling with mental health and need someone to talk to 24 hours a day. Calling this number will connect you to free and confidential support for people in distress. And you can also call this number for resources for you and, or your loved ones if they are struggling and you don't know how to best help them. Meaning if you are the one trying to care for that person and you don't know what to do, you can call this number and they will walk you through it. And this is the number that both Christian and non-Christian organizations who are fighting for mental health encourage people to call whenever someone's in distress. And so we encourage you to take a picture and save this number. Everybody should have access to this 24 hours a day. Somewhere along the line, mental health and faith became at odds. I'm not sure when or why this happened because countless studies actually show that being in church and being a part of a faith community and spiritual disciplines such as worship and prayer and giving and serving all have positive impacts on our mental health. And I shared this in January, but the only group of people who said their mental health didn't decline in 2020 were people who regularly engaged in worship services online 
and in person. But even with science and psychology proving that faith and mental health are very much connected, there's still a disconnect. Faith has become somewhat synonymous with happiness. And if you aren't happy, you don't have enough faith. And if you have enough faith, everything is sunshine and butterflies. It's almost as if people believe that you can't struggle mentally if you have faith in God. And that doesn't make any sense because that's not what happens in the Bible to some of the most faithful people that we read about. Because even people who loved God, even people who were fully devoted to God, even people who served God had moments where they struggled mentally and emotionally. One of the best examples of this is Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God. This means that God spoke to him and Elijah would take that message and bring it back to God's people. Elijah was such an amazing prophet that he was considered a miracle worker. In fact, when Jesus was in the peak of his ministry and he was healing people and he was performing miraculous signs left and right, people thought that Jesus was Elijah and that was a compliment. But check this out. This is about Elijah in 1 Kings verse, in chapter 19. It says this, then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. You see, right before this moment, Elijah had prayed a prayer that God would prove that he was God and God sent fire down from heaven. Right before this, Elijah had prayed for rain and God made it rain. Right before this, it says that God gave Elijah special strength. But also right before this, a queen named Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah because of his work that he was doing for God. And that led to what we just read. A little over a day later, Elijah asked God to take away his life. He cries out to God. God had just done something amazing yesterday. God demonstrated how good and powerful he was. And in that moment, Elijah was feeling great yesterday. So the next day, the next day, Elijah finds himself in the low place of wanting to be dead. Listen, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. It is not my place to diagnose Elijah. But what I do wanna point out is that so many people understand what it's like to experience really high highs and really low lows. So many people understand what it feels like to see God fully moving in their life, but the next day question whether or not their life is even valuable. And the thoughts inside of Elijah's head lead him to a dark place. Have you ever been there before? Do you know how that feels? Let's talk about David. David is called a man after God's own heart. He is chosen by God to become the king of Israel. He's a great warrior. He slayed Goliath. But David struggled. He struggled spiritually. He struggled emotionally. He struggled mentally. In Psalm 6, he says this, I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. In Psalm 13, he writes this, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David's story is one of great victory and great agony. David's story is one of joy and sadness. David's story is one that is just like ours, where there is thriving and struggling. 
David loved God and praised God with the same breath that he cried out to God in distress with. Or how about Job? Job had such a strong faith that God allows Satan to test him. And after experiencing horrendous disasters that take away all he holds dear, including his children, his health, and his property, this is what he shares in Job 30. And now my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaws at me relentlessly. And here's why I read all these. You can be faithful. You can love God. You can follow Jesus and still struggle mentally and emotionally. And so here's the first takeaway for today. And this is foundational for this whole series. So I encourage you to write this down. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. The Bible's full of stories of people who have great faith, who also have dark days. The Bible's full of stories of people who love God with their whole heart, but question whether or not their life is valuable. The Bible's full of stories of people who are just like you and me, people who struggle with their mental health. And we learn over and over and over again that it's okay to not be okay. Jesus doesn't demand perfection. Jesus doesn't expect perfection. Jesus doesn't ask us to fake it till we make it. Jesus doesn't ask us to carry our burdens alone. Jesus doesn't ex expect us to carry our burdens silently. Jesus came to earth for people who are not okay. So there is no shame in struggling and being worn out from sobbing and having anguish in our souls and depression haunting our days. See, God didn't shame Elijah, David, and Job for feeling the way they felt and for struggling the way they were struggling. Yes, God teaches us through the Bible how we can approach many of the things that we struggle with mentally and emotionally. We're gonna talk about some of those in this series, but it's okay to not be okay. I am not okay. I struggle with insecurity. I have trust issues. I find it difficult to express my emotions and they always seem to come out as anger, even joy. If I'm joyful, I'm still angry. I carry shame from past mistakes that I allow to impact how I see myself as a husband, a father, a pastor, and a friend. I'm constantly inside my own head because of fears and doubts and anxiety, and they keep me up at night. I am not always okay, and I've come to peace with the fact that that's okay. I've mentioned this before, but I have a therapist that I talk to on a regular basis. It all started five years ago as we were gearing up for Planting Collective. I went through a series of moments where a few leaders in my life had broken my trust and my response was to seek out control. And I went through a tough season of anger and anxiety and fear and isolation. And to be honest, I knew that my mental health was on the ropes, but I was trying just to power through it. One afternoon, I was sitting down with the chair of my management team and he told me that if I wanted to keep moving forward with planting this church, I needed to go to therapy. And I'm not gonna lie, this felt like a punishment. It felt like someone was telling me that I was broken and I needed someone else to fix me. It felt like someone was telling me that something was wrong with me. It felt like someone was telling me that they thought I was crazy and I got defensive. And at the time, I didn't know of any pastors who were in therapy. So I went into my first session with a lot of walls up. And with therapy, if you go or if you plan on going at some point, you will learn this. In therapy, you will reap what you sow. In other words, you will get out of it what you put into it. So I put up walls and shallow talk for a very long time, and that's what I received. Weeks of me sharing what I wanted my counselor to hear to prove that I was okay and didn't need someone else's help. 
But one day those walls came down and I was honest about what I was struggling with and how I seek out control because of a fear of not being good enough and having that result in people abandoning me. My counselor told me that it's okay to not be okay. And it felt like a weight was lifted from my shoulders. There are times when I am struggling. There are times when we are struggling. And instead of feeling shame about that, instead of pretending like everything is fine, instead of just trying to power through it, it's important to acknowledge that we are not doing well, but that doesn't change how God sees us and how much he loves us. It's okay to not be okay. This leads me to the second takeaway for today. And again, it's foundational for the entire series. God cares about your burdens. God cares about your burdens. In 1 Peter 5, it says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Psalm 55 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. David wrote this. You talk about somebody who understood burdens. David wrote this as well in Psalm 34. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You see, God cares about your burdens. God cares about your mental health. God cares about you. And when you are struggling, what he wants you to know is that he's there with you, that he's there for you. He wants you to share those burdens with him. He wants you to call to him for help. He wants to carry them for you. He wants to give you rest. God cares about your burdens. And no, this doesn't always mean that they will all go away. And some of them will, but a lot of them probably won't. It just means that you don't have to feel like you are alone. You don't have to be stuck inside your own head. You don't have to feel like you can't go to God because you're not okay. God says that's exactly why we go to him. In 2019, a pastor named Jared Wilson died by suicide after battling depression for the majority of his life. Before he passed away, he started an organization called Anthem of Hope. I was listening to a podcast from a few years ago where he was talking about mental health and Jesus. And this is what he said. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure anxiety. But that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. Wilson continued, I cannot say that God has fully freed me from depression. I take an antidepressant every single day. But what I can say is that God has given me the strength and courage to rise above the lies that depression and anxiety tell me on a daily basis. Your mental health is not a burden to God or this church. Your mental health is not something that you need to be ashamed of. Your mental health is not a problem to be solved. Your mental health is not just trauma. Your mental health matters. And God loves you regardless of who you are, what you've done, or how messed up you think your life is. And God's love transcends all things. And that includes any of the mistakes or mishaps or failures that you may have encountered in your life, as well as any of the pain and despair that has been thrust on you by other people in this world. God cares about your burdens and he desperately wants to walk with you through the highs and lows of life. And God wants you to know that you are loved beyond reason 
that your life matters regardless of the circumstances, that you have worth and value in this world, and that even when you are not okay, he is for you and he loves you. Let's pray. God, if we're, if we're being honest, we are all struggling right now. God, we're trying to pick up the pieces of a really hard year. God, we're, we're trying to figure out how to move forward after months of isolation, after months of pain, after months, to be honest, of things that just messed with our mental health, destroyed our mental health. And God, a lot of us come here today feeling lost and broken, messed up. God, a lot of us come here carrying burdens that no one else knows about. And God, we find so much peace in reading stories in the Bible of real people who trusted you that also struggled. God, people who questioned whether their life was valuable, people who cried out to you in pain, people who cried out to you in anguish. And God, your response to them is to love them. God, your response to them wasn't to shame them or give them a few words and tell them to move on, God, but to be with them with those burdens, to carry those burdens with them, to desire to give them peace and rest and joy, to walk alongside them. So God, I, I pray this week as we wrestle with our own mental health, um, maybe God, as we, we begin to have conversations that we need to be having so that we're not doing it alone. God, I pray that as we, we go through this season, because we talk about mental health, that we know that you are with us. God, that we can feel you with us, that we can feel you carrying our burdens. God, that we know that you are a safe person that we can cry out to and be real with and honest with and just say, I am not okay. So that we can hear you say back that that's okay. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for offering us grace. Thank you for offering us hope in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our flaws, in spite of the things that we wrestle with every single day. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.